True Multifamily is an On Air Brands production and a proud member of the On Air Brands Network. This is True Multifamily, the show where we dive in on what really happens after closing a multifamily property. We're going to expose the role of asset manager. That's a person who has a responsibility of seeing the vision, executing the plan, and managing people, budgets, and timelines, all to deliver returns for our investors. These are the real struggles, the real victories, and the real stories of asset management. Welcome back to another episode of True Multifamily. I'm here again with Shannon Ludlow. Shannon, I'm so glad you came back on the show. Thank you so much for coming. I am back, baby. I am back. <laughs> Number <laughs> it's good two. to be back. Yeah, uh, if, if you haven't listened to Shannon's first episode, stop and go listen to Shannon's first episode because it was jam-packed with information. Shannon is a multifamily investor. He invests in syndications and he really broke down really amazing step-by-step as far as what he's looking for in the general partnership, what he's looking for in the deal package. And if you are putting a deal package together and you want to attract people like Shannon to your deal, you have to listen to that episode. I learned so much and uh, I'm just so grateful that you came back to share some more wisdom with us, Shannon. Thank you. Awesome. Thank you, Justin. Yeah, I'm happy to share anything uh, with your listeners for 100%. Well, great. And if you haven't, you have to listen to Shannon's podcast, The Multifamily Journey. It's absolutely amazing. Um, Shannon, let's talk about, because currently right now, uh, we're in, in, I'd like to say in the middle, but who knows where we are in COVID-19. COVID-19 is, of course, affecting uh, all of our lives and, and our investing. And uh, I'd like to center our story today around uh, how you are investing in COVID-19 because you have a very interesting story about a flip that you're working on, uh, which of course our listeners uh, are not really here for the flips, but uh, it's it's a very interesting story. And then I'd like to talk about what you're doing with that money once you sell that flip because that ties right into multifamily. So we, we want to hear about all of that. So uh, Shannon, if you don't mind, uh, let's just jump right in and set us up with, with the story of, of your uh, flip in St. Pete Beach. Okay, awesome. Yeah, it's my COVID-19 flip. So I, I went ahead and found this property through a wholesaler, a reputable wholesaler in my area in St. Pete Beach. And when I bought the property, I, I almost lost my entire investment initially. Just to make a long story short, this home was five minute walking distance to the beach. And because of that, you've got some FEMA rules that are in play where FEMA wants to make sure that any older homes that are below the floodplain zone where it should be, that you bring things up to code. And so FEMA has the dreaded 50% rule where if the property is not greater than 50% or the renovation you're doing, you can't spend more than 50% of the actual value of the property, not including the land. So I had to go through that rigmarole. It took three or four months to get through that and finally get my building permit. But by the time that my renovation was done, I was right smack dab in the middle of a pandemic. And I was like, man, what do I do? And I reached out to my mentors at that time. I was like, you know, should I list low and just try and get my original investment back and just, you know, maybe walk away and break even. But, you know, the more I looked at the market, I really studied the market and look what was selling. Even during the pandemic, things were selling for pretty ridiculous numbers. So I ended up pricing my flip. Originally, I was supposed to sell it for four forty-five. dollars I ended up putting it on the market for five thirty-five, and within twenty-four hours, I sold the property, and I had to give a ten thousand dollar concession. So I ended up selling it at five twenty-five. So I made, I did pretty well on that that investment. But it was right during the pandemic, and you just have to know your market. Real estate is local by nature, 
And although there was a national, I guess, a crisis in the world, there was something going on in the world, you really need to see what's going on in the local business world. So people were still buying properties. Interest rates were still very low, which means that people can afford more now than they can in the future because no one really knows what's going to happen. My guess is that interest rates are going to go up. So people are not going to be able to afford as much. So that's what we did. And I actually ended up uh, setting the record in my neighborhood for, you know, uh, the price per square foot. So that felt very good. And so transitioning into what you're talking about multifamily, you know, I didn't want to flip anymore. You know, I wanted to kind of transition out of flipping and then get into something different. And that's where I started, you know, investigating multifamily real estate. And that's how I kind of found, you know, passive investing. And so what I plan to do with the profits from I'm my- I'm going to stop you right there before we get sure. into that. I'm so excited to hear the rest for sure. But I, I want to just break down a few things uh, about, about that flip that, that you touched on real quick. Um, so you were going to sell for 445. How on earth did you come up with, let's put this thing on the market for 535 in the middle of a pandemic? Like what, what's the thought process there? Can you share that? Absolutely. So every single day, you know, because I only do one flip at a time, every single day, I was looking at new listings and then looking at how long they sit on the market. And anytime I would see a new listing come up, it would usually go under contract within, let's say, a week or less. Some of the properties on St. Pete Beach have no renovations whatsoever and they were still getting ridiculous prices. And so, you know, I was like, you know what? And this was all pre-COVID when I thought I was going to get 445. And so I just said, you know what? Looking at the price per square foot on some things that have closed or went under contract, I'm going to go ahead and, and list a little bit higher thinking that someone's going to try and take advantage of COVID, which ended up happening. They wanted a concession and uh, they actually ended up lowballing me at 485. And so <laughs> me and my realtor, we made a promise that we would work with every single buyer, no matter how egregious or low their offer is. And guess what? Have we just blatantly said, you know what? Thanks, but no thanks. Check you later. Maybe my house would have sat on the market two or three or four weeks longer. And then I would have taken the same offer that I eventually did, but I worked with them and we ended up closing at 525. I love the the gamesmanship and strategy behind that. I, I think it makes so much sense. Um, your low ball being $50,000 higher than what you your initial target was. I mean, come on, that's oh, $90,000 higher, but amazing. Really, really good stuff. Um, so let's then, t no, I can't do math. I don't know what I'm talking about. What is it? 50, $50,000 higher. Come on, we'll take it. So you got a 24 hours, you got this, this, this offer in. Um, but we talked about on the first episode that, you know, you're trying to get away from, from flipping a little bit. So is the plan to now roll this into another flip. Are you still going to do some flips on the side or, uh, what's, what's next? Yeah, good question. So I have been, you know, kind of keeping my feelers out there for potential flip deals because I am conservative. I'm not some like, there's some young guys in my area that do like five to 10 at a time. And then again, you know, you see them on social media, just partying up, you know, buying expensive things. And so they're not saving any of that money. And for me being an older person, 42 years old, I'm a family man, I'm a little bit more conservative. So I try to do things one at a time. And since I sold my flip uh, last July, this past July, I've just been evaluating the market and nothing has really piqued my interest. Nothing has really, you know, the numbers haven't worked yet, but that's why I'm wanting to transition into multifamily because I do want to invest passively and get that cash flow coming in. The key now is just to find, you know, the right operators to manage that asset, execute the business plan, someone that is trustworthy to me because all the hard work that I put into these flips and all the money that I make in my W-2, 
I have to give it to someone that I trust. And that's really the, the difficult part right now is finding someone that you can't trust in these troubled times. Absolutely. And, and we've really covered a lot of that on the first episode. So if you want to hear how Shannon evaluates uh, your, uh, you as a general partner, including your digital footprint and, and all those uh, old photos you might have on Facebook, um, please go back and listen to that episode for more on that. Uh, such, such a great conversation. So you flip the house to put the money into a syndication, which I love. Um, and obviously that's what we're doing on our side, but how, you know, we're, we're still in COVID. You sold this thing in July of uh, 2020, you know, you're in Florida. So that's really the peak of COVID right now for, for Florida. Uh, now we're a month later, we're recording this here in August and uh, you are, you're evaluating syndications, right? So how much does COVID play into your evaluation of deals and, and syndicating teams? I really want to look at the T12. I want to look at the rent rolls. I want to look at you know, how much concessions, you know, maybe the, the prior owner of a, of a potential apartment complex was giving to the tenants before the GP group closes on that deal. And I also want to see what their plans are, what their thought processes are. Do they feel that they're going to have to give a significant amount of concessions? And then also looking at the, the uh, vacancy, right? Like how, how low can the vacancy go for us to break even? That's also something that's important. And so the two deals that I'm investing in right now, the, the two deals, the passive investment deals, both of those deals can survive uh, about a 65% vacancy break-even point. So that's pretty damn good. 65% So that's vacant? kind of meaning, yes. Well, what I mean is they, they can have up to 65% of all the units occupied yeah. and they can still cover the Great. debt service Absolutely. and the operating expenses. Very good. So you're not getting your money back or, or your preferred return or anything, but at least the property is not in danger of, of falling apart at, uh, at 65% occupied, which even in COVID, if it's the right deal, should be uh, very achievable. So that's that's definitely a comfortable number. Where would you like to see that range for a break? Well, so I'm very conservative uh, and I listen to um, a couple of other people that, that are active passive investors, you know, and they've got, there's some well-known names. I won't mention them, but you know, they've kind of thrown out some nuggets that I've kind of picked up along the way. And they want to see, you know, when, when the GP group acquires an asset, they like to see the, the occupancy be no lo- lower than 90%. And that's something that I want to look and see at the day. So I know on day one, after you guys close, I'm cash flowing before you even execute the business plan. So if it's a forced appreciation business plan, you know, and, and maybe something's happening in the world or the business plan's not working. So you can't, you know, kick tenants out and they're staying put and you can't renovate the units to increase the rent, you're still cash flowing and I'm still getting my preferred return, which is very important to me. But from my perspective, Justin, I never expect to get any more back than the preferred return. And so anything I get beyond that pref is gravy to me. That's a really interesting way to think about it. So the preferred return, that's really, you're like, that's going to be it. And and on top of that is thumbs up, great news, but but... Okay, a break-even is something that that we're very aware of uh, in, in my business as well. Um, to, to hear a 65% break-even is is really great. Um, it's something that that every operator needs to know about and, and really have on, on the top of their head, especially as you're closing a deal, especially in a pandemic, uh, because there's there's so many other factors that go into it that um, at least you feel like okay. Tenants leave, you know, new management, new ownership. There's always going to be uh, tenants that leave because new ownership is going to come in and do things like 
enforce rent collections and, you know, <laughs> try to make sure people pay on time. And some Those tenants, landlords. <laughs> some tenants naturally won't like that. They don't like that yeah. kind of stuff. So they're going to, they're going to go. Um, so what, anything else, um, that comes to mind as far as when you're evaluating a deal or thinking about to invest, uh, given, you know, just general, I guess, risk tolerance or, or risk aversions, but also, you know, specifically through COVID right now. Yeah. I mean, the other thing that you have to think about as a passive investor looking to invest in syndications right now is you got to keep track of the macroeconomic things that are going on in the world. Where is the stock market? So right now we're almost back to where the Dow was before COVID, right? And so you've also got an election happening in November. Uh, hopefully we'll have an election happening. Never. We'll have, we'll have to see we'll what happens that. there, but, <laughs> but I know the markets like predictability. And so, and I don't care what political affiliation you are. My personal belief, and I've said this on my podcast and others as well, is that I'm predicting that if the Trump, the, the Trump administration, you know, is in power for another four years, the first two years of his administration, the markets will respond well. However, you're going to have a two-term, very conservative president. And so right around year two, the end of year two, entering year three, I think there's going to be a shift because there's going to be a lot of um, back and forth with uh, the liberals and that uh, it'll possibly be a change in guard. So the markets are going to predict that there's going to be a liberal president that's going to replace Donald Trump, possibly that Mike Pence, either he may not run or he may not be reelected or elected, excuse me. And so the markets are going to react. And then, uh, you know, the stock market is going to go down, which is going to cause people to feel like they have less money to invest in. There's going to be less money into the um, private equities and syndications and things like that. People are going to lose their jobs and it gets a little bit more risky. So I'm keeping, keep an eye on that. That's kind of my prediction. And then also looking at interest rates. I think interest rates is the one saving grace that we have. So long as interest rates are low, that could almost overcome almost anything. Yeah, for sure. I mean, money money is super cheap. Um, but I love that you are talking about macroeconomics, but you're talking, I, I can see you're really data-driven because when you're talking about the flip uh, and when you're talking about investing in, in a large syndication, you're talking about the same thing. Knowing, knowing the numbers, knowing what properties are selling for, knowing the economic factors going on, knowing how long that house uh, in the houses in the neighborhood were sitting on the market, knowing how, knowing about interest rates. I mean, for me, what I'm hearing from you is that you look at the data, you know, you, you need a good feel on the GP team and they have to be doing certain things and you need the deal to be performing, but it comes back to the data. Is that a fair assessment of what I'm hearing from you? 100%. And my personal goal is I'm probably going to get into four or five deals uh, very quickly. And then after that, just sit back and wait and let's see how they perform. Let's see what's going to happen the next two to three years. I mean, if a really good deal comes along, I'll probably invest in it. And then also flipping on the side, if I've got some money there that I'm accumulating, I may either just sit that in a bank account and wait or possibly, like I said, put into something that makes sense. But you're absolutely correct, Justin. You have to look at the data and it's not just about a deal. That's the specific deal, but what's going on in the world, what's going on with interest rates, and just try to make the best decision you can as a passive investor. Absolutely. Um, so much sense. Uh, love it. Love everything top to bottom on that. Um, so great. I Anything else on syndications that you that you want to cover uh, as far as evaluating? We've covered so much here in, in those two episodes. Uh, I just want to make sure that, that our listeners are getting as much and I can extract as much value out of you as we can because I love having you on the show. 
uh, to share with us. You got something for me? Yeah. I mean, I, the only thing I would say is I think for me personally, and I think most passive investors, we're looking more for cash flow at this point where we are in the real estate cycle. I mean, I think we can all agree we've been at the peak for a long time now and uh, COVID definitely caused a little bit of a bump, but now we're right back at the peak. So what's going to happen? So how much upside can you really get? So I'm going after cash flow. So for you GP operators out there, those are the type of deals that I'm looking for. And also, I'll never invest in a deal if I don't get a preferred return. I know some people like Grant Cardone and others, they, they don't want to get a preferred return. But for me, I want to see that I get paid before the GP group. And that's, that's something that's very important to me when I look at potential deals. And so for all you GPs out there, just, just don't eliminate that, that preferred return because us LPs, we kind of like it. And, and you you have to be able to stand behind your deal enough to say, I believe that this thing is going to kick out at least that preferred return to, to pay you before I get paid. So so that makes a lot of sense. And well said. Uh, I would say that that really is the standard now. So if, if you are, if I ever see someone trying to do a deal without a, a prep, I would instantly question the validity of, of the numbers and causes way more questions than, than answers, I think. Um, but to your point about cash flow, uh, that's a really interesting shift that, that we've seen on our team in the last few years where we used to bring out a deal and the investors wanted to talk about that IRR and that, that big number at the end with that really fancy exit. But you know that those numbers can be manipulated very easily based on uh, an exit cap you know, oh, it'll be a six cap or it'll be a seven <laughs> cap or like, who knows, right? Five and a quarter. Like, I don't know. You don't know. We can, we have to take our best guess based on solid indicators and data and all that. But at the end of the day, you know, a half a point swing in cap rate could change your, your return pretty significantly. So uh, we've been, we've seen the same where investors want the cash flow. They want to know that when I buy this thing uh, after 12 months, how much cash is back in my pocket? If I put $100,000 in this deal, how much comes back at the end of year one and year two? And what's the plan there? And, and great, you're projecting a, a nice upside 10 years from now. Great, I'm all, I'm all about it. But what is this deal going to do for me today, next quarter, the quarter after that, and over the next few years? Yeah, no, absolutely. I couldn't agree more. I mean, for me, it's about getting that cash flow you know, putting that cash, uh, you know, uh, setting it aside so that it starts to accumulate in snowball effect. And then you can invest in another syndication. You just keep on doing that, reinvesting your money. And this is a long-term play. I mean, we're going to have up, ups and downs. I mean, I'm probably going to go through three or four more uh, market cycles in my life. I'm 42 years old, so I'll probably have three or four more. But this, this is a long-term play for me. But uh, you're 100% correct. From my perspective, from most passive investor perspectives, we want the cash. We want to see what's coming in either monthly or quarterly from the GP group. And no one can really predict what's going to happen in, in year five or, or year 10. I think you nailed it, Justin. So for us, I'm more concerned with a cash on cash return. And I would like to see somewhere around, you know, I mean, from an underwriting perspective, minimum of eight, all the way up to 12, somewhere around eight to 12, you know, you've got me interested. And that's kind of the, the goal. Outside of that, then you're either investing in the stock market, which we also took a huge dip during COVID, about 30 or 40%. And that's just too risky. That's a rat race. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Shannon, once again, you've blown me away with, with your in-depth knowledge and experience. And, and thank you so much for, for sharing your story with us here on True Multifamily. It, uh, give us a little, little tidbit on your podcast and where people can go to hear more about you. Absolutely. So thank you for that, Justin. So you guys can uh, check me out on um, Instagram at The Multifamily Journey. Or you can check me out on Apple Podcasts, on Spotify, or any other type of podcast 
um, there, you know, that platform. My podcast basically is um, a behind the scenes look at my personal investing events, investments, excuse me, in multifamily syndications. And I'm going to share everything with my listeners. I also am going to have guests on my show, but really the main crux of my, my podcast is to share with my listeners, my investments, how do they turn out? What was the actual projections? Did I get what I was supposed to get? And then just be transparent and vulnerable and be real with my listeners. And that's kind of the goal. Excellent. Love it. Such a great idea. And, and in this age of, of dozens and dozens and dozens of, of multifamily podcasts, you've got an approach and a voice that, that stands out and, and it's deeply personal in, in the way that you share that story. So uh, love it. Uh, thank you so much for coming on the show. Listeners, please go check out Shannon's podcast. Check him out on Instagram. And uh, Shannon, I hope you'll come back for number three sometime. <laughs> I would love to. Thanks, Justin. Right. Appreciate Thanks it. Thanks for listening to another episode. Check out our website at truemultifamily.show. And if you have an amazing story to tell, share it on our Facebook community, and you might just be the next guest on the show. We're also on all other social networks. Just search True Multifamily. I'm really, really proud to have this show produced by our company, On Air Brands. Check us out at onairbrands.com. We also have an incredible, unique podcasting event that we would love for you to be a part of. Check that out at podmax.co.